This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Audrey Mays is the marketing specialist at Remington Ammunition. I was fortunate enough to just drive over from Memphis and spend the morning with Audrey and touring the Remington Ammunitions factory, which is absolutely fascinating and how they build ammunition and the engineering and the QAQC that goes into the testing of every single batch of ammunition that goes through that factory. So I just sat down with Audrey after the tour to just chat to her. She's a young girl in an industry that is primarily dominated by men and just wanted to hear from her and have just a real simple, good old conversation about hunting. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. You do I this, but you're like, knowledge. what the heck? What the heck, Audrey? I don't know. Have you not... This is, an, this is a mic. This is how it works. Oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Is that a recording device? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's recording. That's why the little red light is, is on. Oh, okay. That's scary for me. Sorry. You want to bring that a little closer to your mouth? Mm-hmm. You've stopped your... <laughs> <laughs> My obnoxious chewing. Obnoxious chewing. So, South Texas, have you ever killed a, a nil guy? I haven't. You haven't? No, and I'm from South Texas where that's very common 
for people to go but out. But you and said you were from San Antonio. I Well, I'm from south of San Antonio Wait. in a tiny town. I'm from Lavernia. Okay. Which is close to Victoria. In Do you know that we're about to release a huge documentary about South Texas Norgai? Oh, I didn't know that. I told you, we got so much stuff on the shelf. Yeah. It's called Connecting the Dots. Mm-hmm. And what the the story is about is how Nilgai, number one, invasive species, but mm-hmm. really dominating a South Texas landscape, phenomenal meat resource, and how the meat through doe management, through Nilgai, through others, is making its way into places in South Texas that you have no idea that the meat is actually going to. Mm-hmm. Victoria, Texas being one of them. Oh, really? There's a home in Victoria, Texas. I get goosebumps talking about it. Called Perpetual Home. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a home for battered women mm-hmm. that have like lost it in the real world. They come to this place. They put them back on their feet. They've got like an 85% return success rate because mm-hmm. like they have a whole system built that if you get a job, we're going to keep 30% of the money. We're putting it aside for you. We're putting a bank into a bank account for you. Mm-hmm. And they receive ground venison through an organization out of Corpus Christi called Fish for Life. And then West Oso County, a bunch of four different schools there. They, they put food into 27 different food pantries. It is a cool story. That's awesome. In South Texas, you know, especially with the economy there being driven specifically by hunting. Like mm-hmm. there's no other thing that would drive more in South Texas than hunting. Oh, yeah. And I think that a topic that a lot of people don't touch on is that, like tourism hunting is huge. Mm. And a lot of people come down to South Texas for the exotics alone. Um raises a lot of money to a lot of communities you know they have to stay they have to hunt they have to buy things from these communities that they hunt in so i think that's a great topic i'm really glad you're covering it yeah the west texas so then that we were talking about marfa and alpine earlier Mm -hmm. that's the second part of the connecting the dots series which is specific to that point which is you have no idea the economic impact of hunting Mm -hmm. in these tiny towns in south in way west texas Mm -hmm. Same thing happening in South Texas, but there's a lot, there's a lot more people, much bigger towns, mm-hmm. versus Alpine, where the mayor is like, "We love hunting." Oh yeah, like bring it, bring mm-hmm. more hunters. Alpine and Marfa, I mean, hunting is what puts those towns on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew exactly what you were like. Oh, I went hunting in West Texas. I was like, Marfa. Exactly. <laughs> I knew it. So, yeah, it really uh, boosts their way of life down there. Well, Audrey, Audrey Mays. Yes. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Thank you. Glad Have to you be been here. on a podcast before? Uh, not one that's not my own. <laughs> so <laughs> Outstanding. I like being a guest. It's a lot less pressure. A lot less pressure. Well, there should be no pressure on yours, right? I, well, I'm usually interviewing engineers and high white collar, you know, in the, oh. in the so industry. So your podcast, you're talking to mainly your guys here on mm-hmm. the, on the off the factory floor like a james like like we met today like like jimmy lawrence jimmy. Uh-huh. and uh chris carson he's the director of centerfire products and um another big guest is john langenfeld he's head of research and development here at remington ammunition okay is he in the in the trailer he's in the sh- trailer yep but he, and his title is head his title specifically i believe is director of director of research, research and, and development, development and he's in a trailer and he's in a trailer <laughs> yeah <laughs> And he enjoys it there. He's like, don't bring me in the factory. Yeah, exactly. I'm off to the side. Keep us engineers by ourselves over there. Exactly. We'll be much happier mm-hmm. individuals. Pretty much. They like to hide in their corner. How long have you been here at Remington? Um, going on two years. 
So came directly from grad school, as you told me earlier. I did. Yep, I graduated in uh, May, and I was here in July. As a master, and and you did you graduated with? I graduated from University of Colorado with a master's in media and public engagement, and my thesis was on wildlife conservation. Mm. And I focused on the uh, topic of the wolf reintroduction to Colorado. Did you know any of the people on the Colorado uh, Wildlife Council? Um, I did not. I really tried to reach out to them to talk to them about the subject, but I think they were trying to be hands-off because it was a public vote. They have to be hands-off. Right. So the, the, the Colorado Wildlife Council does great work, and they can say some things, but they cannot get involved. Mm-hmm. They're not in the sort of, they're not in the advocacy game. They're more in the awareness education space. Right. So, yeah, I've got a very good, the, the guy that I know in Colorado who's part of that is a guy called Dan Gates. Mm-hmm. And he's now heading up Colorado's for Responsible Wildlife Management, CRWM, who is literally the spear tip for this whole new ballot initiative around mountain lions and bobcats in Colorado. Two of them. I have a whole lot of opinions about putting putting wildlife conservation matters up for a public vote. So I'll, I'll throw in my two cents and you can react to my two cents. Okay. It's a democratic process. Mm-hmm. That's what America is founded on, is democracy. Right. Right? The, you have a right to do things here in America that people don't get other way, in other places in the world. Absolutely, yep. And Colorado has a process by which if the citizens of the state mm-hmm. say, we don't like Coors Light, and if you can get enough people to agree with you that Coors Light sucks, you can bring it forth for a ballot initiative which Mm -hmm. is the rest of the state do you agree with us Mm -hmm. and if they do you can get rid of Coors Light Mm -hmm. isn't that democracy at work (coughs) you could argue that it's democracy I uh, the only way to get perfect democracy is if everybody votes that's the problem is that the people who are actually going and filling out ballots are the people within city limits and I'm not saying that 100% people outside of the city limits, rural people, don't fill out public ballots. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a lower percentage of people in rural communities that fill out a ballot than are within the city limits. And my argument throughout my thesis, and now still I believe it, is that um, people who live in these rural atmospheres have a different relationship with wildlife than people who live within city limits. The reason being is they're more likely to hunt, and they live right there on the outskirts with the wildlife. The wildlife affect their daily activities, the, you know, especially um, livestock, people who own livestock. Um, this this whole attachment that Colorado seems to have to saving the predators is really interesting when you live in the middle of Denver where the likelihood of you seeing and interacting with the predator is very small, whereas, you know, Joe Schmo, who lives out on 100 acres in rural Colorado, probably interacts with the predator every day trying to keep him off their livestock. Mm-hmm. Livestock, which they've, you know, dedicated their their lives to keeping alive, to funding. That's how they make That's how they make their livelihood. Whether it be goats or cows or llamas, you know, it doesn't matter out there, so... I just think that there's like a differing in experience with wildlife specifically. Um, 
And I'm not saying that voices shouldn't be heard, but I'm saying that it should be up. It should be more science heavy Mm. than personal opinion when it comes to wildlife. Yeah. And, and, you know, I specifically use the Coors Light example as a sort of tongue in cheek Mm -hmm. kind of scenario. Good luck getting people in Colorado saying no to Coors. No, but it's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's. It's it's not something that requires much acumen. Mm-hmm. We're in wildlife management, laws, you know, things that people go to university and study their asses off for mm-hmm. that then get jobs in state agencies of the wildlife biologists and say, yep, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the data, I'm looking at the science. Then the science drive policy decisions, recommendations, regulatory functions of wildlife management. That is a science. That is something that you study for. That's what you become a professional in. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, even though it is a democratic process in the state of Colorado to be able to do this, I think it, it almost sort of flies in the face of the idea of, well, why do you even have a profession around this matter mm-hmm. if someone with no no experience at all, Joe Blow, right. can dictate one way or another a, a biological process mm-hmm. that needs to be humanly manipulated because of the landscape that we live in today. Right. And, and it is management. You know, you have to manage the populations, not only for that species to survive, but for that species to coexist with us as humans. And there's more humans every day and we're expanding, mm. you know, and unfortunately destroying habitat as we do so. And so, the less habitat you have, the less predators you have to have because you don't want a gray wolf in your backyard and you don't want a mountain lion coming in through your front so door. So let me ask this. If, are you... <laughs> I'll open the door here. Are you okay with wolves being reintroduced? Are you okay? Oh, no. Let me say... Let me back up even further. Okay. Are you okay with wolves on the landscape? Oh, I'm, I'm not anti-wolf at all. Okay. Um... <clears throat> I I love wolves. Yeah. I love all wildlife. Yeah. I mean, I am a hunter and I yeah. uh, you know, I agree with all forms of wildlife being a quote unquote allowed to live in their home turf. Um I just don't think that I think that there was less work shown in the matters of how much space Colorado has, where how how far wolves tend to migrate you know what are their migratory patterns um how fast they consume their food you know if they completely desolate the wilderness space that they have in terms of food they're decimate decimate decimate, thank you if they completely decimate Mm -hmm. uh their food and their habitat they are going to move into the cities uh, to look for food or so move into more of a rural urban interface. Right. Right. Which is, you know, again, where all the livestock is sitting and waiting for them to be. And fluffy and old yellow. And right. All that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So I just I feel like <clears throat> there wasn't enough advocacy for the other side. Well, I think I don't think people realize that something like that could happen. Right. And I think people got caught unawares. I think the disinformation campaign was quite strong and there was no real counter to it. I think the vast majority, I think they've done some surveys in Colorado to say if that happened again today, would it pass? Mm-hmm. And it won't because of the education that's happened post 
And I think they only lost by like 1.9%, 1.9 points. And yeah, it wasn't a very big gap. It wasn't a very big gap. And the majority of the loss happened in the corridor between Colorado Springs and, and is it Boulder? That's mm-hmm. north of Denver. Yeah. Yep. That'd and be where I went to school. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and so, but they lost by like 18 points or 19 points in that corridor. And so this initiative for the, the mountain lions and bobcats, if it goes the same way, plus there's already now a much bigger push from the hunting community side of things mm-hmm. to change narrative already. And all you have to do is take four or five points out of the chunks between Colorado Springs and Boulder for it not to pass. Right. If it went the same route as the wolf. Mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> the bill, I haven't completely read that bill. I just have a seen one. the headlines There's for a second it. one now. What, it, what does it entail? So the first one mm-hmm. is Prop 91, which is just a ban of trophy hunting. They got, based on um, the title council, uh, interactions between the proponents and the opponents they actually got the word trophy struck out of the title of the bill so now it's a ban of hunting Mm -hmm. which is like why would we ban hunting right like that's weird so that's first the first prop is 91 and because of that victory i think whether they always intended to drop a second initiative or not a second proposition dropped which is like prop 110 now Mm -hmm. And what that prop is, is a limit of hunting to like December 19th to Jan 2nd. So it's only a three-week season. Interesting. Of mountain lions and bobcats. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also a restriction in like using hounds maybe as well. So there's two initiatives. And we don't know if they'll they'll follow through on both of them or not Mm -hmm. um, because – the one's going to be certainly extremely expensive to get the signatures. Um, a lot of people don't know that to gain, to buy, to get signatures, you actually buy. Mm-hmm. You buy them from a company. And you're not physically buying the signature. What you're buying is the work That's that it takes to get the one signature. Right. So you hire these big companies that then are like, okay, we need 125,000 signatures. We have to assume that 10% or 15% are going to get tossed because they're not real, true Coloradan people mm-hmm. signing the petition. So you have to get 140 or 150,000 signatures actually mm-hmm. at like four bucks a signature. It's all it's such big money. It's all and now sad. they've got and now they've got an, a second <laughs> initiative mm-hmm. to do the same thing. Their coffers, there's no like worry about money. That's the problem. Where is it coming from? Well, it's coming from, what's the Sarah McLaughlin ad that you see on the TV? Um, is in it Sarah McLaughlin? The one that's in the arms of Yes, you got the it. You got it. <laughs> in the arms of... And you see a little sad puppy face. And they all they're asking for is 20 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. That's where it's coming from, you think? Fuck yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. You know, you get a million people donating 20 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. 20 million a month. Mm-hmm. I saw something really scary while I was on campus. Um, people out there, uh, you know, boots on the ground trying to get signatures for these things. Yeah. And the only education they have trying to get students to sign these bills is, you know, a picture of a wolf puppy. Yeah. 
saying, save yeah. this guy, sign this paper, you yeah. know. And they'll do the same thing. They'll just have like, a, you know, unfortunately, mm. like a big trophy hunted picture of a big lip, a big mountain lion, mm-hmm. you know, probably bl- bloodied up and whatnot. And they're like, you want this to happen? If don't, sign this. Yeah. Like no education, no actual information. No one ever actually reads the propositions either is a bad thing that came back to bite those people um the citizens of boulder at one point while i lived there um they at one point they they did something to the effect of they outlawed um the sale of furs within the city of boulder okay but they in doing that they also in the proposition that people voted yes for they also outlawed like the sale of wool like it oh, was really? in the proposition and like all animal fur and skin right oh jeez and so there's alpaca farmers up there who were like what happened what the heck guys yeah so just yeah. people don't read they it sneak stuff in man mm-hmm. so you got a communications degree out of boulder mm-hmm. um what did you get your undergrad in architecture <laughs> really <laughs> yes yep so what did you what what why did you go from being an architect to being like I want to do social communication work mm-hmm. in hunting or in wildlife conservation? So I've been a hunter all my life. Okay. Um it's what me and my dad did together. Mm. And Dad's still alive? No. <laughs> oh man, yeah. sorry. No, it's okay. He passed in uh 2020, which is right when I graduated college. Mm. So that was a big push, I believe, for why I I pursued wildlife conservation specifically um, and hunting and fishing, right? But when I was in college, I worked at a, um, I worked at the Texas A&M Corps of Cadets Media and Marketing Center as a student worker. Okay. And I copy wrote for them and I was a photographer for them. And that's where my love of media came from. Okay. So um, my love of storytelling has always been there. Mm. It's I've always been obsessed with good stories, you know, good movies, you know, as I got older, good books, good podcasts. Mm. and So you must be a frequent listener to the Blood Origins podcast. Absolutely. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Random pause. Yeah. Got me there. But yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's my story. My I started hunting really young. <clears throat> I shot my first buck when I was seven Jeez. years old. Um, um, Are you only child? No, I'm the youngest. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And I, my first doe, I remember specifically, it's a great story. Uh, there was this doe just like stumbling towards the blind in South Texas. Stumbling. Dripping Springs, I believe, is where our dearest okay. was. And, um, you know, my dad was like, what the hell? Put his binoculars up. She was blind in an eye. Like, pure white eyeball. Oh, man. And she was coming towards us, and he was like, if she gets close enough, like, you should shoot this doe. And I said, okay. And eventually she got so close, and I was so small, I had to stand on my dad's feet to be able to angle shoot the down. gun down enough to shoot the doe. And I shot her in the eyeball, in the white eyeball. What? <laughs> so, it's a good target. <clears throat> yep. Jeez. But, I mean, and that sparked it all. Before that, obviously, it was like, you know, rabbits and mm-hmm. all the usual game that you can take with a 22 on the back of the truck. So. And so now you're the marketing <laughs> specialist for Remington. I am. Two years in. Mm-hmm. What's What's the goal? Like, if you peel back the, you know, 
yeah peel back the book a little bit and say like where do you where do you want to be i um obviously yeah i started the the remington podcast and i and that's from my love of storytelling and media i really wanted to put that out there and i would really like to do more of that um I would also like to dive more into the work that I did in grad school, stuff that you guys at Blood Origin do all mm-hmm. the time. Um, wildlife conservation education, I think, is priceless. Mm. I think you can't put a price on it. And I think that it needs to be more attainable to people. And I think that stories is an amazing way to like get people interested and to get people to actually listen. Um, I mean, stories is our heritage. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, they're fun, yes, but they're also, like, filled with information and ways of learning that I really find interesting in the psychology of people and, you know, all of that, so. Yeah, we should be the best storytellers in the world. Right. I mean, we've been telling stories since the beginning, so. Yeah, I like it. I like the storytelling aspect of it a lot. There's, like, there's <laughs> so much, there's so much there. Mm-hmm to you know people's stories to the story of hunting like that's the thing that we focus on is like the story of the activity of hunting right what is it doing for people what is it doing for wildlife oh did you know this oh did you know that yesterday i'll tell you a perfect example yesterday i got not scammed i wouldn't say that's the right term i I don't know how i signed myself up for this like who's who marquee kind of booklet right okay i'm like maybe this is legit but in the back of my brain i'm like there's no way this is legit so i i get (laughs) an interview slot that they call me and there's this lady called iris iris is from new jersey (laughs) in new york and she's like oh hey robert this is you know we're gonna interview you now and hopefully hopefully you make it you know hopefully your credentials are good enough to be included she was as she corrected me at the end she was a phenomenal saleswoman. I said, man, you're a great salesman. She's like, I'm not a salesman. I was like, correction, I apologize, you're a saleswoman. Mm-hmm. And um, we literally, I had the opportunity to talk to Iris, who was a non-hunter. Mm-hmm. She's like, hunting? Positive? Really? And I said, yeah, let me give you a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. And just went through this different examples, different stories of what hunting's done for wildlife and for different people and stuff like that. And even at the end, she was like, well, we can we can include you in this, you know, and and have a we'll create a press release for you, and we're going to you know you'll have a lifetime engagement membership for a low sum of one thousand four hundred and fifty eight dollars, and I literally burst out laughing because <laughs> in the beginning I said this isn't you know I I signed up I don't know if this is a pay for pay to play kind of scenario, and mm-hmm. she didn't say anything at that point. I said Iris, you heard me say pay to play in the beginning. She's like, I know, but you know maybe you know you've got such great. You know, she just kept doing the wholesale woman side of things. Her. <laughs> and um but to the story it was it was the fact that I could use examples and stories from hunting to tell her, communicate to her, hey, you know, there are some real positives about hunting. And I said, You're a non hunter, I assume, right? She was like, How did you know? I said, Well, you're from New York and New Jersey, so it's probably a good chance that you are. Yeah. She's like, yeah, you're right. And I, she goes like, isn't venison like super like dry and real bad tasting? I was like, no. I said, I could pr- create, you know, could cook something that's 
probably going to rival a filet mignon that, m- mignon that you can get in, in New York restaurants. Mm-hmm. She's like, really? And I was like, yeah, it's all about how you cook it. And Anyway, it was just a perfect opportunity to just, again, express the story mm-hmm. of hunting oh, yeah. to someone. Personal stories and in, in, um, intimate relationships. I mean, it change, it can change everything to me. I mean, if Iris wouldn't have sat down and talked to you, she'd still to this day think that hunting is a bad thing. No, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it, it almost sparked, and again, this conversation is sparking. I'm always thinking about like different kinds of content. Mm-hmm. I watched the video yesterday of this guy. His name, I, I got sent to it on LinkedIn. His name, I think his name's Neil Ford. Um, he's a storyteller, and uh, he's not going to come up right now. But um, let me see LinkedIn. Let me find my, this is the beauty of messages. Toby Levine, here we go. Neil Ford, F-O-A-R-D. So I'm going to show you, nobody else can see this because this is an audio medium. You see how he's he's set it up? He's set up like that with a black background, mm-hmm. really well lit, and he's just got a title off to the right. Mm-hmm. And the title is Musk Oxen, Musk Oxen of New York. Mm-hmm. And this is like two minute, 30 piece. And he literally describes a, a, a scene mm-hmm. in New York. And it's the scene of this three-year-old girl walking down the road and everyone on the sidewalk, it's snowing, it's crazy, New York, busy. And everyone at the same time sees this little three-year-old girl walking on the street by herself. And like 10 people make the same reaction, form like this phalanx of musk ox around her mm-hmm. and protect her until they somebody finds the mother kind mm-hmm. of thing. And he he goes on to say like, once the mother had been found and got the kid, nobody actually wanted to move because it was such a cool thing. And this, you know, he was in a suit. He's a white guy, and mm-hmm. there was this black guy next to him with dreads. And the guy turned to him and just gave him a fist bump. And that fist bump, and he was like, "Yeah, that's us New Yorkers," mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, I say that to say that's like that's a piece of content that we can create, right? Because like you know, and, and you could do it two minute thirty, uh, just of an experience that you had, like. Me walking into a hut in Botswana and physically seeing this girl who was 22 years old that now has six kids under eight because her dad got trampled by an elephant. Oh, my gosh. And she doesn't know, you know, what she's going to do. She doesn't have a job. The state won't compensate her because they don't really know what he was doing out of the bush. Mm -hmm. And they have to autopsy his body. And it's been eight months since the autopsy, since he died, and there's been nothing. That's crazy. Just being able to communicate. I think that would be <laughs> such a powerful way to communicate something like that. I'd have to f- figure out how to, like, script it if I needed to script it. Or yeah, you definitely need to paint a picture. You definitely need to paint a picture, but without visuals. Like, all just words. In a s- all words mm-hmm. in a storytelling aspect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a script is almost necessary. Or you just need to say the story like a hundred times before you film it. But, I mean, yeah, that's a really powerful story. And then all of a sudden, you start looking at the population of elephants a little differently. 100%. Well, even Botswana. Botswana has 132,000 elephants. Right. But, you know, the story that's painted here in America is that they're 
Endangered. Endangered. And they are endangered. Technically, they are endangered. Right, but what does that word mean? And where is it a problem? And where is it not a problem? There's so many other facts that go into that that's so necessary for people to understand it. Would you kill an elephant? Would you hunt an elephant? I would hunt an elephant if it was necessary to whatever village is right there. I mean, if... So if you, would, you would hunt an elephant if it was a... They call them PACs, Problem Animal Control Animals. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you would go after... You would, you would hunt an elephant, no problems, if it was a PAC. I'm, see, the no problems thing is interesting to me because I... Every... I'm, when a hunter takes an animal, it's mm-hmm. very uh, an emotional experience. You oh, just 100%. took a life. And mm-hmm. uh, elephants are massive and they're ancient and the idea of them is magical, you and, know? And you're not shooting them from 100 <laughs> yards away. You're shooting them from 20 yards. Right. Like you're up close and personal. You do your job. Otherwise, you're dead. Right. And so, I mean, in just taking that large of an animal would be extremely emotional. And so... I would be, I think I would come to terms with it. I would be okay with it if I if I got to see and understand how it affected other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not someone who like dreams of going and hunting an elephant. You know, like sure, that's sure, just sure, not sure, me. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, I would if if it would help somebody else. I believe. Yeah, and I think that's the key, right? We get a lot of people whenever we we talk about elephants. There's a, a number of hunters that are like, oh, how disgusting. Mm-hmm. I'm like. One, you're probably coming from a place that you don't know. Right. You don't know the food benefit of that elephant to villagers. You don't know the economic benefit. You don't know the problem animal control element of it. Mm-hmm. You don't know that, you know, in Botswana, there's 132,000 elephants. They're way overpopulated. Mm-hmm. They're not even in, they're not in, it's not, endangerment is not a word that is used in Botswana. Right. It's overpopulated. There's too many elephants. There's elephants in places that they've never been before. And I, I hope that they're coming from that point of view by saying, ah, how can anyone ever kill an elephant, you know? Mm-hmm. Versus as a hunter, putting some thought, sort of like anthropomorphic, like right. I'm allowed to kill a deer and an elk and a pig, mm-hmm. but you cannot kill an elephant. Right. There's something different about that versus what I do. Mm-hmm. And technically there isn't. Yeah, the Yeah. The anthropomorphizing is spot on people people put um, weird human traits on animals and it comes from it, it comes from storytelling mm-hmm. uh, but just you know on the opposite side and and it's interesting but you have to take in all the factors like i said before i think if people saw oh like exactly. what you guys do you guys go out there if you we could show take the anybody, world if we could take anybody who's against us mm-hmm. Any of the big anti-hunters, like the big boys, like Ricky Gervais mm-hmm. out of the UK, I would, I would move heaven and earth tomorrow. Who did I say I would do? Oh, Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. Zuckerberg's a huge hunter, right? Mm-hmm. If he told me, Robbie, I'll podcast with you, but you have to be in New York tonight, like I would find I'm someone there. who has a private jet right. and say, send me right now. Mm-hmm. Because, or just even taking them, like taking a Ricky Gervais, taking a Dwayne Johnson, a Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. to say, okay, you guys hate hunting based on what we see. Let me just show you. Right. And we've got outfitters everywhere. doesn't matter. You name a country Mm -hmm. and we'll go. Right. And we'll show you the reality on the ground. 
I think most of the time for for big animals like elephants and lions and things that can really wreak havoc, people don't take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. So, but but then again, like everyone in America is okay with us just like annihilating feral hogs, and it's the same thing. They destroy our habitat. They wreak havoc. Like that's why people are okay with us taking them out. But I mean, it takes one elephant to destroy a village oh jeez yeah you know and a herd going through <laughs> takes the entire crop away for the entire year oh yeah gone destroys the landscape mm-hmm. so have you been to africa i have not it's a dream i've always ever since i was a little girl wanted to go to kenya specifically <laughs> so what well, kenya is a shithole i don't know <laughs> i, I don't apologize know. for anybody listening to this from <laughs> kenya no it's not it's not zarek uh calvin it is not um i uh, the reason i said that was um Somebody just went to Nairobi and they were just like, man, this is a crazy city. Oh, really? And they used that terminology to describe it. Uh, but no, Kenya's got some amazing wildlife. We've mm-hmm. got some, they've got some great, great wildlife. And we've got some good friends in Kenya. A guy called Zarek Cocker uh, runs outfitting there. He runs outfitters. Um, he runs ecotourism things into Chad. Mm-hmm. That'd be bloody cool to see. That would be really cool. And then Calvin Cotter, Cotter's, the Cotter family is like a very famous institution family in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Used to be hunting, now big ecotourism photographic guys. Um, they're great. But yeah, Africa is just mesmerizing, regardless of where you go. Yeah. I've I've always wanted to go, and I, <laughs> this is going to sound dumb, but it's because I grew up watching like the national geographic oh yeah yeah 100%. and they, they always called kenya the hub of africa and i was mm-hmm. like that's, that's where, where i'm going go. <laughs> yeah no you'd love it man especially as a hunter like going to south africa you mm-hmm. gotta figure something out you gotta tell joel man man we should do some remington stuff and i think they do i'm just like you know i'm just lowest me. on the totem pole <laughs> yeah, right pretty now much, yeah <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully you'll climb you'll climb well i enjoyed it thank you audrey um Good job on your first out of your own podcast podcast. Thank you. I hope I did all right. Yeah. I'm usually um you know, I usually have points to talk about and stuff, so I hope I didn't ramble. That was my goal. No. <laughs> you did exactly what we typically do on this is just have a good good conversation. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, Do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.